It is 15 years since 9-11. Dear God, even though the events of 9-11 took place long ago, most of us can still recall them like it was yesterday. Some, more than others, are still feeling the effects and the pain. On this day, we remember all those who lost their lives and their loved ones to this terrible tragedy. We lift up their families and their friends and ask for strength, peace, and comfort. We also remember and honor those heroes who stepped in to help, to save, to serve. And we will never forget those who gave their lives for the noble cause of rescuing others. We are forever grateful and pray blessing and comfort over their families. We pray for the spirit of unity to revisit our nation, the unity we felt in the midst of our struggles and our confusion. We pray that our citizens would look to God for wisdom and guidance, just as many did during that time of uncertainty. But most of all, we pray for the swift return of our Savior, who will one day put an end to all tragedies and to all tears. We love you. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. It was a terrible time. This morning I want to continue to talk about our study of 1 Peter. And it's interesting how this topic that we're going to talk about today is dealing with suffering. We just watched the video of 9-11 and the suffering and the tragedy that that was. But as we look at the book of Peter, we see that suffering and rejoicing are the theme throughout the whole book. Suffering is mentioned many times through the whole book of Peter. Now rejoicing, we can understand why that should be emphasized. But why should we be emphasizing suffering? That may seem a little strange that we as Christians that have a life set to serve Jesus, would be known for a life of suffering. That goes totally contrary to the modern preaching of easy believism and seeker-sensitive and prosperity teaching and all these things. It just, it just doesn't make sense that Peter would so much, spend so much time talking about suffering when we are supposed to be able to pray all this stuff away. So why? Why do we have to be concerned and why do we need to understand suffering? See, it's this misguided belief that the enemy uses that we can pray through suffering, that we don't need to suffer, that we can get above suffering, that we don't have to have problems in our life because as Christians we can rise above problems and we can reject all problems and we can say they don't exist. It's a, and it's a, it's a misguided teaching. And the enemy uses that to discourage and eventually lead many people away from the faith by getting them to be discouraged and saying things like, I tried Jesus and it just didn't work for me. I, I tried it and he let me down. 
I, it might be good for you, but it's just not good for me. It's just a crutch for those that can't handle life on their own. And I'm sure we've all heard that, haven't we? We've all heard people say those kind of things, and maybe you've even said them yourself a few times. But we must be aware of Satan's strategies that he uses against us. And part of it is how we deal with suffering. We must always be aware that Satan has a strategy against us. If we're going to live and be victorious in this life, we must understand that we are at war. And I'm not giving Satan any glory or credit here. I am simply exposing his stupid little strategies. That's all I'm doing. I'm coming to you with the, with the enemy's game plan so that we know what he's going to do so we can know how to defeat him. That's all we're doing here. I'm not glorifying him at all. I know his future, and so does he, and he's defeated, and he is a nothing but he has a strategy, and we're going to talk about that. He will promote this, this concept of easy believism uh, as long as it never becomes the real deal in a person's life. As soon as a person really has a faith in Christ that begins to make a difference, all the rules change. See, Satan goes to church every Sunday with many people. He goes to church with them. He goes right in and sits down next to them, and he's part of their praise and worship, and he's pray part of their, their prayer time, and he's a part of all of it. See, Satan has the opportunity to be with you whether you're saved or not. There was a time, and there still is a time, where Satan has access to heaven. He has access to the throne of God because if you go back to the book of Job, Satan was in the heavens, and God said, where you been? He had a conversation so Satan is with us, just so you know that. He goes to church with you and I. But that doesn't mean that we have to allow him to have any success in our life. We, know, we need to know that we can stand against him. And many people, many people in this generation that go to church and they feel good about what they're hearing and they feel good about what they're doing because they're temporarily successful or there's a lot of numbers or uh, great programs many things that go along with that that are satan even loves he loves big numbers he loves good programs as long as you don't get too serious about jesus he's all about it and as soon as they get serious about jesus well again the rules change all of a sudden the attacks come and all of a sudden the problems come and then if we don't have a good understanding of God's word, then we're thinking, oh my, I, I must have missed God. Because why would I be suffering now? Look at all programs I have. Look at all the things going on in my life. And all of a sudden I'm getting attacked? Oh, see, this is where we have problems. This is where we need to understand that we need to know why we suffer and why the attacks come. And, and when all these attacks come with all their, their deception and their lies, many people get hurt eternally, because they fall trapped to what the enemy's trying to do. See, and this is the danger of false teaching that says we can overcome every problem with health, wealth, and good life on this earth without problems. Now, I'm not opposed to health, wealth, and good life. I'm not opposed to that. I pray for you. I pray for it. I pray blessings. That's great. But when we must understand that even with that, we're still going to have suffering. Even with that, we're still going to have problems. We will, we will start to question ourselves. When the problems begin to mount up in a person's life, we'll start questioning ourselves, well, aren't we living good enough? Or I must have sinned, or I must do something else to try to 
earn my success in, in this health world. If a person has a health issue and God doesn't heal them miraculously, instantaneously, then there must be some sin and some reason that God is distant from them. You can, see, you can hear the devil playing these games. If there's a financial crisis, then they must have missed the will of God. God would never make, allow me to miss the mark to lose money. Because serving God promises wealth and prosperity. That's what people think. And if God doesn't meet every need, then God really isn't really all-powerful. And he really isn't all-loving, is he? That's the devil. He says, you know, if you're struggling in some areas, then God, maybe, maybe he can't do it. Maybe he can't heal you. Maybe he can't get you out of that financial problem. Maybe he can't get you out of that temptation. And maybe he really doesn't love you as much as you think he does. Can you just hear the devil? Can you just hear it? See, the enemy has done a wonderful job over the generations of, of mankind developing this me-first, selfish perspective of consumerism in people which plays out like, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And thus, when something happens that doesn't benefit them <laughs> in a positive manner, the doubting and the question of God's goodness and his, and, his, and his grace and his mercy come. And the devil starts playing in that in the minds of people. And this is the major problem in how people look at church and how that relates to their life. In other words, I come to church because church does something for me rather than I come to church because I want to do something for the church. I come to church because I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. I want to be a part of building the kingdom of God, so I come to church to work. <laughs> Did you hear that? I come to church to work. I don't just come to church to sit in the pew and be fed. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with being fed. But if you don't use the food wisely... If you don't use the energy that the food gives you wisely, then what are you really doing with it? Yeah. That's why I appreciate Sunday school teachers. That's why I appreciate nursery workers. That's why I appreciate those that are willing to give and sacrifice that nobody even knows they're doing it. So many people do things that we don't even know they're doing it. Pat comes in during the week and prays over the church. Or straightens up the chairs that we all leave a mess. Picks up all the stuff that we leave on the floor, as well as Robin. Appreciate that. See, we need to understand God's word, and as we understand God's word, we will see life differently when it comes to suffering. If suffering wasn't to be a part of a Christian's life, then why does Peter address it so much in his letter? Why would he address it so much if it's not to be a part of our life? We need, to, we need to understand this. So let's go back. Let's get into 1 Peter. Let's set the stage for what we're going to study about. Open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I need to, word, I need to read starting verse, at verse 3 before I can get to verse 6. Okay? Verse 3 through 5 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. <laughs> this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter is promising the believer a living hope of eternal life. We just talked about living hope at my mom's funeral just the last week. What a great 
What a great opportunity it was to share God's grace. We have, a, we have an inheritance that never perishes, spoils, or fades. The question is, though, where is it kept? Where is it kept? The, the, this inheritance is kept in heaven. <laughs> it's kept in heaven, meaning that we might not get to it right now. <laughs> meaning that we may not be able to exercise it right now. Because the inheritance isn't in this world. It's being kept in heaven, protected under lock and key, that nobody can touch it. It's, it's perfectly protected and will last for all eternity. However, right now, we may not be able to exercise it quite as much as we'd like to. This brings verse 6. 1 Peter first 1, verse 6. In all this... In all, in all what? In all the promise of, of, of this inheritance that never perishes, spoils, or fades. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter is making the point that even though we, we have this promise of eternal life and the promise of, a, of an eternal inheritance, that the reality is that we're still going to have to suffer and endure life that may not be so good. We may still have to go through some stuff we don't like. Okay. Here's the fact. The problems that we are experiencing today is not changing my future. Just so you know, the problems that no matter how bad they are, how significant they are, they are not taken away from that inheritance. In fact, they're going to make that inheritance seem a little bit sweeter when I finally get there. So why is suffering a part of humanity? If God really is all-powerful and all-loving, why does God permit people to suffer as much as they do? A lot of suffering in this world. These are good questions. And I've got to tell you, I recently just saw it firsthand as I saw my mom suffer with cancer. It was not pretty. It was ugly, in fact. Thank God His mercy was there and she was relieved from much pain, but she still suffered. So Why? Faithfulness to God does not guarantee that a person's life will be free from trouble, pain, and suffering. Just so you know that. Faithfulness to God does not guarantee that a person's life will be free. In fact, Jesus taught that we are to expect difficulty and challenge in this life. Open your Bible, John chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Remember, Jesus is uncovering Satan's strategy just like we're trying to do it right now. I'm telling you this, Jesus says, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. Then a little bit further in that same chapter, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. Is that not a reason for peace? Amen. Scripture is full of godly people who have had to endure much suffering for the sake of living for Jesus. Joseph, King David, Many Old Testament prophets, all the writers of the New Testament, including Jesus, suffered, suffered to the point of death, all for the sake of Christ. So don't think that this is a new concern. 
Don't think that this is new today that all of a sudden we're having to deal with suffering because it's been part of Scripture. It's been part of Bible history forever. But why is suffering necessary? We haven't answered that question yet. I've asked it a number of times. Why is it suffering? Why is it necessary? How can a loving God allow suffering and evil to continue? Why do bad things happen to good people? Where is God when tragedy strikes innocent people? Where was God on 9-11 15 years ago? Where was he? See, questions like this and many others all question the character and the power of God when it comes to his ability and concern for the people that he created. It brings up all kinds of questions. And we struggle with the concept that if God can do all things and loves us as much as he does, then why does he allow us to suffer? I know these are real questions. I've experienced them just like you have. And through the ages, men have struggled with these same issues. But, per- but perhaps, perhaps our confusion comes because we're asking the wrong questions and placing our focus on the wrong things. Maybe we're placing our focus and our questions on the symptoms more than the source of the question or the problem. Ever think about that? See, when mankind rebelled, I was talking to David Moody. We were, I, anybody, David, raise your hand, please. David Moody is Bob Moody's son. So glad you're with us today, David. I'm honored that you'd be with us today. Bob was a great man of God. If anybody knew Bob Moody, you knew a man of God. And he's in heaven today, rejoicing with my mom and dad and many others. You know, let me just say this real quick. I don't want to take a rabbit trail, but let me say this, because this is talking about death. You know, we just watched the Olympics, and we just watched and celebrated every race that was won. Every time somebody crossed the finish line, everybody celebrated. Nobody said, oh, I feel so bad that he's finished. When the marathon ran, 26 whatever miles are, they celebrated when they were done. Nobody said, man, I wish you were still running. (laughs) So when I have a saint, when we have loved ones that love Jesus and they're in heaven, I'm not going to say, oh, I wish they were still here. In, they finished the race. They won. They're celebrating today the goal of their eternity, just like you're trying to get to the goal of your life, so let's celebrate with them. That doesn't mean we don't miss them. I understand that. But I have to keep my eyes focused on the bigger things. And that means I'm going to win my race too, and I want you to celebrate my win. When I run my race, I don't want you to bring me back here. <laughs> I don't want to come back here and keep running. I want to stay there. All right? So if I died right now, let me go. All right, right, let's get back. Okay. Perhaps our confusion comes because we're asking the wrong questions. Remember that mankind has chosen this way. This was not God's plan. God never designed men to die. He designed them to be eternal. He designed them to live forever. Death, destruction, decay, it's not God's fault. It was never God's plan for the man, the outcome of man to be the way it is. It's interesting to think about this. I wonder if there was anything Adam and Eve could have done to reverse the curse they brought on themselves at that time and then hence for you and I today. Was there anything they could have done right then and there? Could they have, was there anything they could have done to say, God, no, I, I, I'm sorry. Is there anything they could have done? 
See, it's just a little thing. Eating a piece of fruit that was, in fact, good to eat is the cause, is the cause of all evil and all disorder and all suffering that has ever occurred and will continue to occur in the history of life. All because of one person took a bite of a piece of fruit. A little thing. He didn't, they didn't kill anybody. He didn't kill any animals. They didn't do anything really that serious. They just took a bite of fruit. It seems almost like that was an unjust consequence. That you mean God just because I took that little bite of that little animal, just one bite, I didn't even eat the whole thing. I just took a bite. You mean that's enough? Really? Really? To cause all this suffering that's ever happened because I took one little bite? Yeah. That's the justice of God's system that he is a just and holy and righteous God. See, God doesn't do what we do. We classify sins as that being a bad sin and this one not being quite so bad. This is a white lie. That's a black lie. I'm just a, a little under the I'm just a little under intoxicated versus I'm really drunk. I'm just a little bit looking at pornography or I'm really full into full scale fornication. Right? We take we, we give ourselves out all the time about, oh that's just a little sin. That that really doesn't mean a whole lot. I'm not as bad as that guy over there that's really sinning. See, that's the way we do things. That's not the way that God does things. God says anything falling short of my command which is intended to protect you, by the way. Anything falling short is sin, and it deserves death. That's the source. That's the source of suffering. Not God. It's not God's problem. We are the problem. Sin is the problem. Even the universe is impacted by the simple choice to disobey God. Romans chapter 8, 21 through, 20 through 21. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Nothing God originally created was created to suffer and die. But because of the simple choice of disobedience, rebellion at any level brought in the curse of death. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. So for those people that blame God for all the problems in this world, they really have no idea what they're talking about. When you start blaming God for problems that you're having or blaming God for all the sins and all the disasters in this world, you're blaming the wrong entity. Satan has effectively won a battle in the mind of people. He has, he has effectively won the battle because he's saying the problems you're having is because God doesn't love you, because God can't do anything about this. It's all God's problem, and that's wrong. It's totally wrong. It's not God's problem. He wasn't the cause. It wasn't God's idea, nor was it his plan for suffering or death ever to be in the life of his original creation. For the, so for us to blame God for the problems that we are in in our life is only playing into the hand of Satan. Sin and evil 
are natural results of human choice. The fact is that human choices, not God's choices, allow for the suffering in this world. It's the fact that our choices, not God's choices, bring suffering into the world. So, if we're clear now on the source of pain, suffering, and death, why does God allow it to continue? Why does he allow it to continue? Why doesn't he just wipe it all out? See, if God were to do this, he would have to eliminate all human imperfection and force us to live completely without sinning. Because there was nothing Adam and Eve could have done to say, God, give me a second chance. Because the sin had already been done. The damage had already been done. The rebellion already occurred. The separation already existed that no man can cover. No man can cross that chasm of, of, of disobedience until a perfect man comes as a sacrifice to pay for that, who is Jesus, right? So now, if that's the case then, it's that still today. God just can't wipe it away because there had to be a sacrifice paid. No more than he could have wiped that little sin away then. He could have said, yeah, you're right, that was just one little apple. Look at all the other ones you didn't eat. God can't see things that way. The devil does. And he messes with us. So if God was to do this, he would totally have to wipe out free will from all mankind. He would have to take away your choices. And he, and he can't do that. And he won't do that. God wants us to choose to love and obey him. And that proves love. He wants us to choose it. Because that proves it. Christianity is not about God forcing us to choose him. Or in not changing the consequences that are natural that comes with our sin. Instead, it's about people developing a faith in God to the point that we will willingly and continually choose good over evil no matter how difficult the situation. That's what Christianity is about. That I and you, you and I, will willingly, continually, day after day, moment after moment, continually choose good over evil that I will make the choice every day to obey. That's what it's about. No matter how difficult it is, no matter how unpopular it is, no matter how politically incorrect it is. See, God often allows us to go through difficulties and, and hard times in a progressive stance or in a progressive sort of way so that we can grow and learn to trust him so that we'll have strength that we will need to go through all, not some, all of the difficulties that Satan would try to bring to us to destroy us. Because I need to know how to work through the little things so I can gradually work up to the big things because the big things are going to come. And if I can't handle the little things, then I'm not going to be handled the big things. So God starts off small with us, like we do with our children. We teach them one step at a time. You know, don't put them on the football field and let them run for touchdowns. No, you've got to teach them how to walk first. Right? And the same thing with God. He, he gives us the little problems in life. And here's the deal. As, as we grow and we, as we mature, this is why we need to have good Bible teaching. Because if a young Christian has the misconception that as soon as you become saved, no more problems, then the first little problem that comes his way, it's going to throw off his theology. We need to say, you're saved. 
You're going to heaven. You have an inheritance put and kept in store for you in heaven that will never perish or fade or spoil. But you know what? You're going to have a problem tomorrow. Just so you know that. You're going to have a problem tomorrow. So I don't want you to get knocked out of the saddle when it comes. You're going to have a little problem. And as we learn to get through the little problems, then we're getting stronger and we're growing and we're maturing in our faith so that when we have a, an early death of a dad or we have a major problem, that it doesn't blow us out of the saddle thinking, where is God? No, God's right here. He loves us. And he's, and he's pulling you through this because he has an inheritance put in store for you that he's keeping for you. Satan is a constant force against us to make the choice for ourselves the same way that Adam and Eve had to make the choice. We will be destined. We will be judged. We will be held accountable to our choices. I need to know that. You can read the scriptures in Ecclesiastes 3.17, Hebrews 9.27, Revelation 22.12. Hebrews 9.27, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face a judgment. Revelation 22.12, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. We must recognize that we're going to be accountable for our choices. I can't blame God. I can't blame you for my choices. They're mine. So why does God allow suffering? Simply stated, throughout Scripture, to prove our genuineness and to perfect us in our choices so that we will be able to rejoice and enjoy all the rewards of an inheritance that never perishes, spoils, or fades. 1 Peter chapter 7. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. The next verse. These sufferings have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We're going to suffer, but that suffering is going to prove our genuineness. It's going to prove our commitment. It's going to prove our love. One of the major principles that Satan brings to us is that he tries to tell us that you're not going to be accountable for your choices. He will bring to you all kinds of reasons and thinks that you may not, you may be able to get out of this one. You may not have to count your choices. He's trying to get us to blame others and to defer our responsibility to other people. We're entitled. <laughs> We're an entitled generation. Think about that. A loving God wouldn't hurt me. I'm entitled to eternity because I'm a good person. I deserve heaven because I help people on earth. I deserve heaven because I give in the offerings of my church. I deserve God because I teach Sunday school. I deserve God. I deserve heaven. Well, I got to tell you, those are all good things to do. And thanks for doing them. But that's not why you're getting to heaven. You're getting to heaven because you've believed in Jesus Christ. The fact is, there are many reasons that God allows suffering in a Christian's life. And we could spend many hours talking about them when we're not going to. I want to make two points. God loves you and he loves me. And he wants you and he wants me to love him back with our own free will no matter what happens in our life. Point one, he loves you. He loves you and he wants you to love him back no matter what's going on in your life. Point two, Satan wants us to blame God and choose a rebellious heart thereby sealing our fate of death. Satan wants us to blame God. Satan wants us to 
look at the symptom and not the source. Satan wants us to get distracted by looking at the symptoms of our life and saying how bad the symptoms are rather than for us recognizing that they're there because that was human's choice. He wants us to blame God. He wants us to get this in the blame game. And I want to help you this morning by stripping away the enemy's cover and showing what his strategy is. He uses the ploy of sin and he lies about the consequences of it. He shows you the good parts of it and the fun times that sin can offer because sin can offer fun, true? Sin can be fun. And Satan wants you to know all of that and he wants to give that to you. He wants to abate you and, and entrap you as an uneducated person into the perceived joys of living a sinful life only so that he can destroy you in the end. He is not your friend. He causes people to blame God for something God didn't do. And then while he's doing that, he's laughing all the time at how stupid we are. Just so you know, the devil's getting you to blame God, and then he's laughing at you. He doesn't like you. He's not rejoicing with you. He's laughing at you because you're so stupid to believe it. Now, I'm sorry. I, I know, I'm not calling you stupid. I'm just calling people stupid. He loves it. Satan loves it when the righteous suffer. And then he exploits that to the world, trying to convince the world that those Christians are stupid, weak little people that don't know any better. And they just continue to love God because, and God doesn't love them. I mean, he exploits all those things and he loves to do that. It's time for us to see sin for what it is. Satan uses suffering to destroy. God uses suffering to, to perfect. Satan uses suffering to destroy you. God uses suffering to perfect you. Jackie, if you'd come. Sin is the reason for the suffering, not God. Say that with me. Sin is the reason for the suffering, not God. Do we really get it? Do we really understand it? Satan is the cause and he is the enemy of every good thing God created. God uses the suffering that sin caused as a perfecting agent for us so that we can benefit by it. <laughs> Not only does God use it to perfect us, but we benefit as we get through the suffering because of God's grace and his mercy. Romans 8, 28. We, all, we know in all things God uses for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Final point. Finally, we need to do this. We need to get angry at sin and not at the suffering. We need to get angry at sin and not at the suffering. We, so many times we get angry at the suffering. We get angry at the, at the um, symptom and we don't deal with the source. The source is sin. Sin caused my mother to suffer in cancer. Sin caused 9-11 to take out 3,000 people. Sin caused Jesus to have to come to this forsaken world and live and die. Sin caused the problem. So here's the deal, guys. This is the, the next time that you're tempted to sin, the next time that you're tempted to look at that pornography site, the next time that you're, look, you're, you're tempted to get drunk, or the next time you're looked to do whatever it is that's wrong, steal from your employer, whatever it is, the next time you're tempted to do anything wrong, recognize what you're doing. You're feeding into the thing that causes suffering. 
You're feeding into the thing that caused my mother to suffer for cancer. I saw that first time maybe that I saw the suffering that she was dealing with was not the cancer, it was the sin. And so now when I want to play with sin, when I think I can manage it, I'm playing with the thing that caused my mom to suffer. It gives me a whole different perspective of sin now. Because now I look at sin as being ugly and dark and painful for what it really is. I'm not buying into Satan's cover that it's fun because it's not fun and it's not good and there's nothing good in it. It's the cause of all suffering. So now I can live a righteous life. See, I will never live this life without suffering, but I can live this life without sinning. There's nothing I can do to get out of the suffering that's coming in this world because of what sin did many years ago. But I don't have to play with it. I don't have to let it into my life. I don't have to be a friend of it. I can be an enemy of sin because I don't want that to play into the people's lives. I don't want to play into the devil's game of taking sin as not serious because it is. If that little bite of that apple can cause all of this stuff over here for all of eternity, that's how powerful sin is. I'm not dealing with that anymore. I'm free from sin. I don't need to play with sin. I'm taking a perspective of holy and righteousness. I'm not playing the games of compromise in this world anymore. I'm going to walk a holy life, a righteous life, a life of conviction, not a life of legalism, a life of conviction because I don't want to give sin any part of me because I know what sin did. It caused all the stuff in this world that we're suffering with right now. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercies and your grace. Lord, we thank you for unveiling to us today the true source of our problems. You are not the source of my problems. You are the source of my freedom. You are the source of my rejoicing. You are the source of my eternity. And with you, eternal life, whether an inheritance that never perishes, spoils, or fades, that's who you are. You are a good, good father. Sin, on the other hand, is the source of all the stuff that we're dealing with right now. It's the source of my suffering. And as a result, Jesus, I declare that I will not intentionally play with sin anymore. I will not allow myself to go down the path of justification of what I can do and play with sin. I declare that in the name of Jesus. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to empower me by the grace given that would bring me to completion so that I can stand one day perfect under the blood of Christ that you would look at me and say, well done, thou good and faithful. You've, you've, run, you've run the race. Welcome home. But until that time comes, I am in the battle and I am suffering for you righteously and joyously in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's sing the song that Jackie and the game team are playing. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.
Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your education that you are teaching us of righteousness and holiness and how to live victoriously in this life. So as we go to our homes today, protect us, feed us, nourish us, help us to live it out and help us to praise you. Lord, help us in our suffering. Help us to learn how to deal with it, Lord. Give us peace in the midst of it all. And we declare your goodness and we declare you are our king and our master and the soon coming king. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Go with the Lord today.